Well, good morning. I just want to start out by making everyone uncomfortable, and uh, that's not normally how you start, but uh, happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas. It's weird for me to say that because it's not Thanksgiving anymore, and it's not quite Merry Christmas because it's not there yet, and also I want to make everyone more uncomfortable and say congratulations, Clemson, yesterday. Uh, Great win. All right. And Gamecocks fans, actually, hold your head up high because this season has been much better than you expected, and a little tip. This is the perfect season to pretend like the red shirt you have on has something to do with Christmas instead of football, right? Uh, We've been doing this running series, and uh, we've been learning what it means to be a person who follows Christ and who has faith in Him, and how that analogy uh, of running really helps us. And so we're talking about running and faith, and we've learned a lot about running and faith. One, we've learned that running and faith are both difficult. And uh, we've learned that there are challenges that come along in running and in faith that feel like we just hit a wall. And we've learned that when we hit those walls, especially, but really all the time, but especially when we hit those walls, running together, running as a team, is so much better than running alone. And so we've been camping out in Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, and then we've also been following some teachings of Paul, the apostle, and and they've been helping us figure out what it looks like to run this race of faith. And when I think about running as a team, I have some very specific memories. Um, Not long after I got here to South Carolina and started working out live, Pastor Tom I want to say encouraged, but I, I really mean tricked. Uh, a few of us staff members and some, some other people from the church into running a Tough Mudder. Have you seen these races? So these races are like 10 to 12 miles, and they're covered in mud, and they have about 25 obstacles of various different kinds that you have to get through. And they're designed by British Special Forces. And I don't know anyone in British, British Special Forces, but I'm assuming because of this race that they hate everybody. And their entire goal in life is to make people suffer. And so, for some reason, I signed up for this race, even though I have never really run on purpose in my life outside of just organized basketball. I love basketball. I play basketball. I chase a basketball. Other than that, I don't really run. And so I said yes, and I realized something very quickly. If I don't train really, really hard for this race, I'm going to die. I mean, literally, I actually think I'm gonna, my life is going to be gone, and it's going to be tough. So I start training, and then all of a sudden, we start training, and I realize something else. These people know how to train much better than I do. So instantly, I'm the worst runner in the pack. And so we start training together, and I'm a little bit encouraged, a little bit challenged by their training. And so I start training a little harder, and we start training together, and we go, and uh, we run this race. And this race was run, and it was just as muddy, uh, just as hard, and a lot colder than I expected. Freezing, freezing temperatures, freezing water, ice baths, just craziness. And something really, really weird happened. I ran this race. And as soon as I got warm and my muscles stopped feeling like all of them were pulled, I signed up for another one. Like an idiot, I signed up for another one. And I realized again, okay, I'm, I'm not going to stay in this kind of shape. Okay, I did that, but I need to keep running. And I signed up for a race with, with people that were younger than me and in better shape than me. Because again, I'm adding layers to this. And so I sign up with my friends who are younger than me. One was my cousin, and he's about 6'3", and has long legs. So he takes one step, I have to take two to catch up. And he loves running. I signed up with this guy who was from our youth ministry uh, named Grant. He's 18. He's a freak of an athlete at this point. Just anything he does, he's awesome at. Um, and then we're on the, at the starting line, and there's this guy who's running by himself. And, you know, I'm thinking this is more fun as a team. So I'm like, hey, why don't you run with us? He's like, okay. And about two miles in, we're trying to have a conversation. And I'm going, <laughs> and he has no idea what I'm saying. And he's still speaking in full sentences. It was then that he told us he, he's run multiple marathons. So I'm sitting here, I'm like, okay, these guys and me, all right. 
And so I'm running, and obviously I hit a wall. It took longer this time to hit a wall. It was about seven miles in. I was feeling pretty good about myself. And about seven miles in, I hit a running wall, and I, I'm still struggling with pride, right? Not now. I'm good now. But then I was struggling with a lot of pride. And I, and I say to these guys, don't worry about it. I'll catch up. Just go ahead. Terrible idea. And so I'm struggling. I just dig deep, and I dig into all the reserves I have left, and I start to just run harder and jump over things faster. And I round the corner, and there they are. And they, they let me pretend like they didn't wait for me, like I caught up with them. But it's okay. I catch up with them, and I feel good about myself. And the sun's coming out, and I'm running into an open space. And I start running over the rolling hills of North Carolina, and I feel great. And I, it's like birds are chirping, and I don't know if that's true, but it felt like it. And then I hit another wall. And this was a new kind of wall. I'm running, and I'm, I'm kicking into a higher gear, and all of a sudden a calf cramp hits my right leg. And at first I did what probably most of you would have done. I just pretended like it wasn't there. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm a little twitchy from the, from the ice still. I'm just whatever, and I keep running. And, and then all of a sudden it gets worse, and I, I can't ignore it anymore. And so I start getting kind of mad. I'm like, right leg, come on. Are you serious? Left leg is being fine about this. You're whining, you know, and just as I'm giving it to my right leg, my left leg decides it's going to go out too. And so I fall. No, like, graceful, like, oh, I'm just going to sit down. Like, I just fall. And then I do what... Anybody does in a moment like this, you pretend like you meant to, right? And you turn it into a stretch. You're like, oh, yeah, you know. And so I'm stretching. It's not like a warm, like, feel the zen yoga kind of stretch. It's like this is either going to stretch out or I'm going to rip my muscles. Like, I'm, I'm running. So I stretch and I stretch and I stretch, and it just doesn't feel better. And the guys offer to carry me, and I'm like, no way. I'm not doing that, right? And they're like, well, you could just, you could just, I mean, you've done this before. You got the headband and T-shirt last time. Maybe you could just, like, quit, I'm like, no, I'm not quitting. Like, that, that's not a part of, of this process for me. I'm not quitting. I need two t-shirts and two headbands. And they're like, well, maybe you can just, like, cut the corner off this little part of the race and just go, you know, take a shortcut. And it, I'm like, no, you guys don't get it. Like, I'm going to finish this race. And so I start realizing something. Not only is racing and running hard, and not only is hitting a wall really frustrating, and not only is it much, much better to run with a team, I realized something that day that's forever changed the way I see faith and running. Sometimes when you're running, you're doing everything you possibly can, and something from the outside hits you, and you start to run with a limp. And so that day, I ran with a limp for the rest of that race. And it wasn't pretty, and it wasn't graceful, and I didn't like it, and I wished it was gone. I couldn't stretch it out. I couldn't threaten it out. I couldn't pretend it wasn't there. I just had a limp. And I had to run with the limp. And that's really frustrating. And what, what really messed with me is that not only was I kind of disappointed because I couldn't run the way I wanted to. Not only was it tiring and exhausting because of all the temptations that came with it to quit or to take shortcuts or to complain or to argue. Or to be prideful and pretend like it wasn't there and cover it up. It showed me how fragile I was and how powerless I was. To fix stuff, and I didn't like that feeling. And I don't know if you've ever been there. Maybe it was running, maybe it was just life. Where you realize all of a sudden, I'm running this race, and I'm doing my best, and I'm trying to figure this thing out. And this outside circumstance, or maybe this internal circumstance, hits you. And for a lot of us, it looks different. And and so so some of us, it's really physical. It's something that we are just dealing with. It's a, it's a constant pain or a diagnosis or it's something we inherited. It's nothing we asked for. For some, maybe it's more hidden or quiet or private. Maybe some of us, it's, it's a mental or psychological, emotional situation. For some, it's an addiction. 
And for some of these things, we played a part in them, and, and for some of them, we didn't at all. We didn't ask for them. We don't deserve them. None of us want this stuff. For some, it's broken relationships. Maybe it's one. Maybe it's a trail of them. Sometimes family takes this place in our lives. For some, it's a temptation. And, and again, we don't want the temptation. and we, we wish it was gone, but there it is. Again and again and again right in front of us. For some of us, life has taught us that it's easier or better if we control stuff. And so our, our, our limp is really that we're just trying to control life. Maybe you feel like you're worse than everyone around you, and that's the limp you walk with. Maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you find yourself thinking, man, I wish they were more like me because I, I, I have all the answers. I have it together. For some of us, we look in the mirror, we really don't like what we see. Maybe on the outside of who we are or on the inside of who we are. For some of us, it's a secret that we keep. And maybe you treat your limp like I treated mine in that moment. I, I pretended it wasn't happening. It's not there. I'll just ignore it. It'll go away. All right, it's there. I can't ignore it. Maybe I'll work it out. Maybe I'll stretch it out. Maybe I'll figure it out. Maybe I'll, I'll dissect it and I'll organize it. and I'll, Maybe I'll, I'll partition this part of my brain off, and that will be the part where the limp lives and then everything else. Some of us, we, we justify or explain it away. For some, we get angry. We get afraid. Maybe we self-pity. For some of us, especially those of us raised in the church, we're taught that if we pray about this stuff, it will get better. And so you find yourself praying and praying and praying, and maybe sometimes praying turns into yelling, and yelling turns into crying, and praying and praying and praying continues. And, and my question about the limp of faith is, is really this, and this is what I'm wrestling with. What happens when you develop a limp in your life, and it's making it harder to hold on to faith? And, and one step further, what happens when you develop a limp in your life and it's making it harder to hold on to faith and all of a sudden you get the distinct impression that God is not about to change your circumstances? How do you hold on to faith in that situation? There's a guy that talks a lot about running in faith and it's the Apostle Paul. And he lived in the first century. He's a contemporary of the first Christ followers. And he, he likes to draw on this analogy of running, and his people actually would have known a lot about this because they would have been witnesses of these Olympic Games. The Olympic Games we inherited are a lot older than we are, right? They've been around for a long time, and so they would have known all about running, and they would have known all about prizes. They would have known all about what it looks like to be in a massive uh, group of people cheering you on. And so we learned that from Hebrews and in, from other Paul's writings that, that running is a pretty good analogy and that there are people cheering us on, and that's important. And in the race of faith, Paul's starting to talk about, look, you need to run, and you need to run a race that really, really matters. He actually says in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, do you not know that in a race all runners run? Basically, you know, you know that. You've seen that. But only one gets the prize, so you should run in such a way that you will get the prize. So don't just run. Don't just free run. Don't just start running in circles. Run with a specific aim to get the prize. And so Paul's writing letters to a church in Corinth, and he's writing to them about how they can run in such a way as to get a prize. And he's giving them this foundation, but then he, he writes another letter. He actually writes this second letter, 2 Corinthians. And he writes this letter, which I think is really cool because it's kind of like a first century reality show. Like, I get, I get to know all about these Corinthians' business, right? 
And so Paul's starting to write this letter, and he's saying, basically, good job at all these things. You, everybody knows about your faith and your generosity in, in the beginning, and, and people are actually taught. You're actually kind of legendary in, in certain ways. People know about your faith. But then he also starts to scold them. And so in 2 Corinthians 12, he's, he's trying to say something to them uh, about how they should live. But in chapter 11, he starts to scold them. Basically, what's happening is that they have all kinds of teachers coming around. And people have basically realized that if they can go all these places and all these cities and they can teach about Jesus, they can get a lot of money. Because part of following Christ is generosity. And the early church was known for how well they shared with each other. And so these teachers are actually starting to go around and saying, hey, good job, guys. Let me teach you about what I've known about Jesus, what I've learned about Jesus, what I know about faith. And as we do that, just you know, pass the offering place towards me, and I'm just going to dump it all in my pocket, and you guys are good. And, and, and Paul's saying, listen, guys, I know it sounds good. These guys are teachers, and, and they're preaching the truth, right? And they're, they're preaching things that are positive about Jesus. But he said, one warning sign you should look for when a preacher comes to you and starts talking about Jesus is when they start to brag about themselves, And so Paul says, listen, these guys are coming to you and they're bragging about the race they're running and they're talking about all the things they've learned and they're talking about all the stuff they've been through and they're making themselves look like they have credibility, like they're five-star athletes, like they're blue-chip prospects when it comes to running this race of faith. Only at the end of the day, what they really done is they made themselves look awesome, they've made very little of Jesus, and they've taken the money that's supposed to be given to people who are in need and they've actually pocketed it. And so don't follow them. And Paul gets so annoyed. Apparently this is something he's addressed before. He gets so annoyed that in chapter 11, he actually goes off on them. And he says, listen, you guys are used to listening to foolish people, so I'm going to talk like a fool for a second. This seems to be what you like, so I'm going to talk like them. And he says, okay, what anyone else dares to boast about, and I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about, are the Hebrews. So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So do they have the right lineage and credibility? Yeah, so do I. Are they servants of Christ? So am I. I am more. I've worked harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. I don't know why he doesn't say 39, but it's 39, which means he's been whipped a lot. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was puddled with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. One night I spent a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger of false believers. I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides all that, I face daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. So these guys are coming to you and they're bragging about their credentials of following Jesus, what they've been through. And it's foolishness. But just so I can be on your level, Paul says, I'm going to tell you that I've done more, been through more, sacrificed more, hurt more. And then I think it's hilarious at the end. He's like, and not only that, but I've had to worry about you guys. Paul says, that's the worst probably. In the meantime, I'm doing this and you're listening to people who don't have the truth. And so Paul's frustrated with them. But then he, he takes a turn for us. Because he talks about all the things he's been through. And he goes on to actually talk about this special revelation that's so strange and mystical that he has a hard time describing it. And says, listen, I've even had special revelations from God where he's shown me things I can't even describe to you. And I could brag about that too, but I won't. And this is where Paul starts to deliver to us something so profound. Instead of listening to them, instead of following them, 
Paul says this. Getting vulnerable, getting real with them, which helps me a ton, right? Because when Paul gets real and he gets vulnerable and he talks about himself in a way that isn't so good, it makes me feel like I'm not such a freak anymore. And Paul says to them, listen, instead of bragging about all the stuff I just bragged about, this is how I come to you. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And this is how he starts telling us the secret of running the race with a limp. He says, listen, all these guys, they have it all together. They have it all perfectly. I don't. In fact, in order to be, to be kept from becoming conceited, I was given something, a thorn in my flesh, and we actually don't really know what that is. Some scholars think it was a physical ailment. Some scholars think it was actually a mental or emotional issue. Some scholars think he was actually referring to the fact that he had to, to pastor the church and it was exhausting. Some people think this actually refers to a temptation in his life. Nobody really knows, but what Paul's saying is, listen, and actually, you know what? I kind of like that no one knows. Because one of the things I would do and you might do is we would compare this, right? Like Paul would tell us his thorn in the flesh, and we'd be like, oh, man, I can't even identify with that. That's huge. I can't, I pr- this probably isn't for me. Or we would say, Paul, really? That's what you wrestle with? That's nothing. I've been through way more. And so it's actually helpful for me that we don't know because everybody's, everybody's limp is going to be different, right? Everyone's going to face different challenges, and that's fine. And that's fine. So it came from the enemy, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Not fun. Not what I hoped for. Not what I wanted. Not how I expected life to go. And therefore, as in, because I could brag about all this stuff, instead this happened. And Paul continues, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Paul gets to the point where he realizes, wow, this limp is tormenting. This is not fun. This is not what I hope for. I don't like this. I'm going to actually go the one place I know that can fix this. God, please take this from me. And I don't know if it was really three times or if this is some sort of like anti-exaggeration where he's just simple. Like three times for torment, I I feel like that might be a little low. But I, I picture Paul really pleading. Like, this isn't something he would just wake up in the morning and just say, God, you know, I, I prefer not to have this. You know that, but I'm going to go on my day. I really picture this. Paul is like, he's in, he's in frustration. He's in pain. He's, he's anxious. He's pleading, God, would you change this? Would you take this? Would you fix this? Have you ever been there? In a moment where you're out of control, where you're frustrated, where you can't solve the problem, where you, you are unable to be the solution to this mess. Paul says, three times I've pleaded with God to take this. And God answers him, which is awesome. God answers him, but it's not what he expected. But he, God, and this, this is actually in red in, in many of our Bibles. This is the, the voice of God, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul gets an answer, but I don't think it was the answer he was hoping for. And Paul's answer is packed with so much meaning, and it's so helpful, but it's not easy, and it's not fun. But God said to me, my, my grace, that word grace is so sweet. That word grace comes from the word charis, and charis basically means favor, unmerited favor. Grace is, is beautiful in this moment. 
This is all from God. The, the connotations that God has, joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, goodwill, loving kindness, and favor in you. My grace, my favor, my fond, I'm so fond of you, Paul. That's what you have from me, God says. That's, that's enough. That's sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in weakness. And this is a really, really weird thing to say, I think. Unless you've ever been trying to comfort somebody. For parents, maybe you were holding a, a child that was about to get a shot and they knew it was coming. And you're sitting there thinking, what do I even have to offer this kid? They're right. This is going to be bad. But man, I love you. I'm right here. I love you. Maybe, maybe you're talking to someone who's about to go into surgery. And you can't control the, the, the doctor's hands. You have no idea what's going to happen. Why is it the, the most appropriate thing you know how to say is, I love you, I'm going to be here for you when you get back. I care about you so much. And, and then God says, my power is made perfect in your weakness, and that's what I wish I could promise my kid. That's what I wish I could promise my loved ones. That's what I wish I could comfort people with. That I have the power to promise that everything's going to be all right. But I don't. I might say it anyways. I love you and it's going to be all right is what I want to say. But God himself is the one who actually has the power to back that up. This word grace is actually the same word that the angel says to Mary when he delivers the news that she's going to be the mother of Jesus. The angel says, hey, don't, don't, don't be scared. Don't be worried. God has found favor with you. It's the same word to describe Jesus as he's growing up. It says Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor or fondness from God and people. The word for power that we just talked about actually has the root word of dynamite. It's like in your weakness, in the crevice, in the crack of your weakness, there's a bunch of power just spotted in there all over the place with fuses ready to be lit. God's saying to Paul, hey, my power is there innately, and it's ready to blow in the places of your weakness. And so what Paul starts to learn, which is not an easy lesson I can imagine, is that while Paul is walking with a limp, and God is not going to fix it the way Paul hopes he will, that there's a secret behind this, that God's favor is there in its richness in that moment, and that the power is there and it's available to us. Then Paul says something crazy. He doubles down on this and says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecution and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So church, instead of bragging about everything I'm good at, instead of bragging about all of the credentials I have, instead of bragging about all the stuff I've been through, I'm actually going to just keep bragging and bragging and bragging about my weaknesses because that's when God has promised that he will show up and show off. And there's this really cool aspect to what just happened, even though it's difficult. And I can't imagine Paul's pain as he's so frustrated and he's sitting here thinking, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm being faithful, I'm enduring so much, I'm experiencing so much loss and sacrifice and still it's here but he was able to tell us something so pivotal, and you might have caught it. 
When he starts this statement to them, he says, listen, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited. So many times I've heard people say, don't ask the why question. Don't ask why this is happening. People have told me about that about things, and I think, what are you talking about? I can't help it. Of course I'm going to ask why this is happening. And I don't know if we can all get there. I don't know if we all get the answer, but Paul says, listen, this is why, and I know it. In order to keep me from becoming conceited, Paul, what do you mean? See, when Paul met Jesus, and he would tell you this because he does in Philippians, he was the most self-righteous, self-reliant, self-focused person in the world. He was so full of himself that he was actually persecuting the people following Jesus. He was so sure that he was right about God that he actually opposed the teachings of Christ himself. Paul was so conceited that he almost missed Jesus. If it weren't for Jesus interrupting Paul, Paul would have missed him. Paul's looking back on his life and saying, wow. Now I think I may understand Why this limp has developed in my life. To keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. There's this powerful truth that Paul's revealing to us about his own life. And the truth is that it wasn't Paul's weakness that was ruining the race. It was actually him leaning into his strength that was ruining the race. Paul's desire to be self-reliant and self-focused and self-powered was actually threatening to keep him from running the race well. And apparently, something we can learn from Paul's life is that if I have a limp, it's not necessarily the thing keeping me from God. It might actually be the thing pointing me to God. And that means something to me. Because then when I look back on this scripture that that Christ is especially fond of me, even though I'm hurting then I start to be challenged once again to ask the questions that I may not even be aware that I'm asking. God, this is happening to me. Are you still good? God, this is happening. Are you watching? Are you actually aware of what I'm going through? God, this is happening to me. Do you care what it's currently going on? God, this is happening. If you are paying attention, are you still powerful enough to solve this? Are you strong enough to sustain me through this? And really, all this for me boils down to what we've been talking about this entire series. What is our definition of faith? Faith is believing that God is who he says he is, and he's going to do everything he said he's going to do. When do we question that most? When we're facing something like this. And so God has just said to Paul, listen, Paul, I'm here with you. I love you. I am that God. I care about you. And despite what it looks like in your circumstances, I am going to do what I said I am going to do in your life. My power is made perfect in your weakness. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be painless. It's not going to be smooth. But in the end, it will be all right. And I want to be kind of careful because I'm not sure what you're thinking about. And I don't want to be so bold as to to assume that, that what I'm talking about applies directly to your situation. I don't know your situation. I don't think this is a copy and paste for everybody. Sometimes there are things in your life that this just may not apply to, and that's fine. But I wonder how much of this 
principle of life really it does apply to life and, and certain things in your life. When I'm tempted to lean into my own strength, I should actually lean into my weakness because God is there. My wife recently told me about a trick for wilderness survival. She likes to read weird books. And this is a book she was reading on basically who survives and who doesn't in all kinds of circumstances. And one example was a person in the wilderness. And, and what they learned is that if you walk in the wilderness, eventually what you'll do, predictably what you'll do, is you'll walk in a big circle. And you're going to walk in a big circle based on where you lean, which is usually the strong side of your body. So if I just start walking to get out of the woods, I'm going to end up right here because I'm going to walk to the right every time. The way you correct that is you pick a, a focus point. And you walk towards that focus point, leaning actually into your, your weak side. And if you'll do that long enough, you'll go straight. I'm not sure if straight is good. I don't know where you want to be, but you'll go straight. And I think, man, isn't that neat? So I think I'm going to go the right way by trusting the strong side of who I am. And in fact, I'm going to go the exact wrong way if I do that. If I lean into my weakness, if I lean into something stronger than me. Which makes sense because the Bible's been telling us this all along, right? Proverbs 5, this is one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge or lean on him and he'll direct your path. Jesus said it a different way when he's preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I like this translation a little bit better of the same verse. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Jesus is actually revealing this truth that he would later communicate to Paul. Actually, you're happier, blessed, and running a better race when you're fully aware of your need for God. When you're fully reliant on God and not yourself. Even if that means not having what you wish you had or, or having the kind of life you hoped you would have, you're better off. There are a few questions that I want to ask you, and, and again, I'm not saying you're in the same boat as Paul right now, but I just want to ask you some questions and see if they may help, help you. Maybe in figuring out your why or maybe figuring out what you're supposed to do next. The first question I have for you is, when did the limp in your life appear? When did you notice it? What was going on? What was the context? Is it related to something specific of that time in your life? Second question for you. If I didn't have this limp, where would I be? And for me, that one's an important one because I have to look at my life and say, okay, if I didn't have this specific thing in my life, would I be closer or further from finishing the race that I started in my faith? Third question, is there anything I've learned or been saved from as a result of this limp in my life? And lastly, what could this limp offer to other people who are trying to run the race? So here's a challenge. And it's a challenge for me, and, and honestly, I'm challenged to even give you this because I don't know your story and, and I don't know what this represents to you and by no means do I want to tell you that this is okay and it's painless and it's going to be fine. I don't, I don't know that. But I do want to challenge you to do something really specific. If you can identify something like this in your life, I want to challenge you to lean into it a little bit. And I'm not asking you to enjoy it. I'm not asking you to have every answer you're hoping for necessarily. 
But if what Paul said is true, that, that God himself delivered this message and said, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in your weakness, then what that means to me is if I can lean into this, this situation, if I can lean into this frustration, if I can lean into this part of my life, I'm actually leaning into God and his promises for me. And what Paul tells us near the end of his life is that it's better to limp to the finish than run free and not finish. Paul does finish the race, or at least he tells us he's about to. He writes a, a letter to a pastor that he's actually mentoring. And he writes this letter to Timothy, and it's in 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. And he says, listen, as, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to this happen, or his appearing. And so Paul is saying, listen, I, I'm close. I can see the finish line. I'm almost there. And this is the kind of life I've lived, and I have this assurance that what awaits me is good. That God is finishing this with me. And it's not just me, it's actually for all of us. And so, for you and I, this crown, this prize. When I think about what Paul's saying, it's this idea that, man, I've fixed my eyes on Jesus like we talked about, and I've run after him for so long, and I've endured so much, and it's been difficult, and it's been great, but it's, there's been a lot of challenge. And one day, I can actually finish the race and get to the point where I look Jesus in the face, and he can tell me, hey, it's time to rest. Good job. You did it. You finished the race. And now you get to join this entire crowd who's been cheering for you, who finished before you. And you may have limped to the finish, but you finished. So my challenge is, in the face of what's facing you, in a part of your life that's painful or frustrating or... or maybe sometimes all-consuming, or maybe it's just kind of nagging. My challenge is to lean into that place and see if God doesn't show up the way he promised Paul that he would show up, with favor and with power. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your promises. I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you so much that we're not alone in this faith race. We've, we've felt like that before, God, but we're not. And so, God, I thank you for your presence in our life. God, I thank you for uh, Paul's example. And, God, I just ask for people in this room who are facing something difficult, something they've begged you to take or change or fix, that you would, through your Holy Spirit, remind them that you're with them and that you are especially fond of them. And that the questions they're asking may be legitimate, and that you have an answer, that you're there, and you're strong, and you care about them. God, give us perseverance as we run. Give us hope as we run. Help us to lean on you and lean on each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.